Before we come directly to the topic of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, I'd like to take just a little more time to share something concerning God's purpose that I believe will be a supply and a benefit to you as you are living out and participating in the fulfillment of God's purpose. And the first of the two verses that go together is very familiar and sometimes, even many times, superficially applied. And that is Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And I'll hold verse 29 uh, temporarily. We'll come to that later. From the moment Paul was saved, and actually in fulfillment of what God measured out to him, he suffered intensely for the name of Jesus and for the gospel that he preached. He could write to churches concerning this and say, in effect, please don't shed tears about my afflictions. I'm appointed for this. This is for your benefit. In 2 Corinthians he gave us a little catalog of how many times he was beaten with rods, shipwrecked three times. That was before the colossal shipwreck in Acts 27. All kinds of things happened. So when Paul speaks of all things, he had experienced a lot of things. And I'm very thankful that we have this verse in Romans 8, a chapter which shows us in verse 34 that Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And that shows us in verse 10 that Christ is in us. And that reveals to us in verse 2 that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is operating in us. What wonderful provisions. Christ interceding, Christ indwelling, the law of the spirit of life, which overpowers the law of sin and of death. And we might conclude, well, I guess that's all we need. But in actuality, since our God is the God of Jacob, and since we are Jacob, we need the kind of experiences that Jacob had. So there are all things. God is God throughout the entire course of our life will exercise his sovereignty with his wisdom 
to either allow things to happen, things which we cannot simply explain, or even cause things to happen. And this is just a fact as we go on. Now please listen to the end of the following statement before you have a reaction. I got saved in 1955, called by the Lord when I was 16 in October of that year. I came into the church life in 1966. I'm not a young person. I'm not without a measure of experience. I can say, and this is the point, the farther we go, the harder it gets. But the harder it gets, the sweeter the Lord is. And the richer the grace is. We're not on the broad way taken by the majority of believers. We have chosen to enter into the narrow gate and walk the constricted path which leads to life. We have consecrated ourselves to the Lord without reservation, giving him our consent to work on us, to work in us, and to direct our steps our whole life long. As humans, we have certain expectations, assumptions, presumptions, hopes, dreams. But God, as God, I assure you, knows the best way to gain each one of us. So Paul speaks of all things, all matters, all persons, all things, all situations. And he says something, not we hope, not we believe, but we know, we know. The Lord's recovery does need experienced saints who could stand up in a meeting like this and shepherd all of us by saying, my brothers and sisters, I know all things work together for good. Including death, hardship, all manner of things. The reason I say that many take this verse superficially is that they don't give equal weight to the whole verse. Paul didn't say, we know that all things work together for good. Cheer up, everyone. It's going to be 
happy in the end, the things are somehow going to fit together, some shallow kind of comfort. All things work together for good to a certain category of person called those. He doesn't say all believers, but those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Please notice that here Paul does not say those who love the Lord. Although we emphasize <clears throat> as strongly as possible how we love the Lord. We love the Lord Jesus, our lovely bridegroom. Neither does he say to those who love the Father. He speaks of to those who love God. Many of you probably heard message two from the summer training that ended our crystallization study of Exodus. That message on knowing God and his ways. And that message was very much indebted, we were pleased to say, to Brother Nee's life and ministry, and a message entitled, Worshiping the Ways of God. And based upon the word and in light of his experience, he helped us to see that the day needs to come in our life with the Lord, that we know God as God. And there's a distinction between knowing God as God in his absolute sovereignty and immeasurable wisdom and knowing the Father. Remember the Lord told the sister in John 20, Go to my brothers, tell them, I ascend to your Father and my Father, to my God and your God, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He himself made the distinction. And Paul, in writing Ephesians, speaks of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God does not take counsel with anyone. God does not need or heed advice. When he acts as God, he does so according to his sovereignty, his omniscience, his wisdom, his will, his determination. And as we are growing in life and increasing in the full knowledge of God, we need to know this aspect of him and not only know this, but be deeply at peace with this. Because God's ways are immeasurably higher than ours. Isaiah 55 says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways above our ways. So God, 
whom we come to love is the sovereign deity who acts to fulfill his purpose with a vast view of everything and everyone and how everything will fit together. And we are here with our opinions and views and expectations and human feelings. And it takes quite a while for us deep within to no longer have any issues with God. No controversies with him. But on the way there, if we are genuine and open with the Lord, we will have to at least tell him how we feel about things because that's how we feel about things. And it's much more genuine to be honest with the Lord than to cover things over with religiosity. And God as God has his ways which are the choices he makes concerning us. I cannot now, it would be premature to go into detail, it's not necessary. But here I am, you know, maybe a little young for my age, but I'm still at my age. And in the first half of this year alone, God as God applied his ways to me and things happened that were just astounding. Astounding. Amazing. Totally unexpected. Almost unbelievable. Both on the suffering side and on the enjoyment side. What, what is this? Well, God usually hides and remains silent. But he might say, Ron, I know where you are. I know where you stand in relation to the body I know the body's sense concerning your portion among many others' portion in the ministry. I know what I need to gain in you. So this is what I decided to do. God's ways are his ways of dealing with us, of caring for us. There will come a time, it doesn't have to be now. Don't try to do something because you heard someone speak about it. Let the spirit of reality guide you into that reality. There will be a time when you are under the Lord's hand, experiencing his ways, and all you can do is simply worship him. I just worship you. And you love him as God. 
you can say, I love God. All things work together for good to those who love God. So we need, based upon 1 John 4.19, which says we love because he first loved us. We need more and more divine love infused into us, producing an unprecedented love in us. And eventually we can say, I love you, Lord Jesus. I love the bridegroom. I love my redeemer. I love my savior. I love my father. And I love God. You are the potter, I am the clay. Does the thing formed have the right to say to the one who formed it, why did you make me thus? This is God being God. It's a great blessing to know the Father. It's a great blessing to know God. To be at peace with him at a deep level. To be one with him. To worship him and to love him. It is to this category of people that all things work together for good. Then the next phrase is in apposition, referring to the same group. Those who are called according to his purpose. So these believers, for whom all things are working together for good, they realize, in varying degrees perhaps, they're in God's purpose. God has called them to live on earth for his purpose. So they can bear this testimony. I love God. And I am living according to God's purpose to which I've been called. Simply, I love God and I am for God's purpose. Brother Nee was like this when he was in Hong Kong, it might have been in 1950, he was safe. He could have remained there, maybe gone into the free world from there. But one day, without saying anyone, anything to anyone, he asked someone to take him to the train station. And he went back into the mainland. Because he knew this was God's direction for him. Surely he sensed, because his intuition was so keen, that affliction and bonds would await him. And that was his portion for 20 years. But it will take eternity 
for it to be fully manifested. What was released into the body of Christ through those 20 years? Who would think that God would take the then minister of the age at his prime and fully set him aside from all outward activity for the rest of his life and subject him to endless suffering. But prior to that time, Brother Nee knew well, and he ministered clearly, that when a member of the body touches life in a new way, the body immediately receives that supply through that member without anything being spoken. So he was there, deeply touching realms of life. And what he touched flowed out through him into the whole body. And he didn't know how widespread his, his books were. So to live for God's purpose, to make this decision... It's something that, according to Luke 14, we should make, not with exaggerated seriousness, but soberly, to count the cost for this. You're taking the narrow way. You're taking the way of losing your soul life. For the Lord's sake, and as he said in Mark, for the gospel's sake. But this is the way that leads to life in the coming kingdom. We all should have some degree of assurance that we love God and that we're called according to his purpose. And therefore, at least to some extent, we can say we know. We don't know what is facing us personally or corporately, between now and the end of the age. What will have to take place, and I'm anticipating messages three and four, for us to engage in the spiritual warfare that will cause the enemy to suffer serious loss in this part of the earth. But we are fully for God's purpose. We've been called into it according to God's choice. We love him. And now I can tell you, in the midst of things, when your soul is suffering, your heart is broken, but deep within, you know This, too, works together for good. I don't have to see it now. I just trust my God. And I will vindicate my God in the face of the enemy and all his evil principalities and powers. I will declare my God is righteous 
My God is loving. My God is faithful. Then a little bit in verse 29, because it is the definition of purpose in verse 28. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated. So what's the destiny? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's purpose in verse 28 is to have many brothers of Christ conformed to his image. The many who are conformed to the image, this equals corporate expression. And here Paul speaks of being conformed, not transformed. Confirmation is the solidification and the outward manifestation of inward transformation. And it's the confirmation that breaks through our self-expression that produces this corporate expression So there is now the firstborn son, not the only begotten. That's in the Godhead. Firstborn son in God's economy. He has millions of brothers. And they're all exactly the same as he is in life, nature, and expression. This is the purpose for which all things are working together for good. Now the word image... And this verse brings us to message two. Proclaiming the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We saw from the verses from 2 Corinthians 4 that the God who said out of darkness light shall shine is the one who shined in our hearts to illuminate the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There is a gospel or an aspect of the gospel called the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Let me say something obvious here. Paul is writing this. How did Paul get saved? What way did God choose to gain Saul of Tarsus? I think we can say that, humanly speaking, Paul was a genius, at least way up there with intellectual capacity. God didn't send a super genius to debate him and to outsmart him. He didn't send one of the apostles from Jerusalem with power and authority to subdue him. God simply shined on him. 
with a light brighter than the sun. That's how it began. He saw a light brighter than the sun. People may argue with truth expressed verbally. They may argue. They pick up the concept. They counterattack. But no one can argue with light. When the Lord Jesus comes in his secret coming to the overcomers, he will be the morning star. But when he comes manifestly and openly to the whole earth, he will be the son of righteousness. Oh, I hope I can at least observe what will happen in the ungodly countries, in the atheist countries, when they have to confront the sun of righteousness shining over their whole land. It will be impossible for anyone to be an atheist. The Lord is not giving an argument. He's just saying, you deny that I am. Well, here I am. In full force, shining. I'm the sun of righteousness, shining. But back to Saul of Tarsus. The gospel he preached was the gospel by which he was saved. And I'd like to take a little time in these verses... And we'll we'll get through the outline and there will be ample time for you to respond. It was so excellent, the response after the morning message. So we start in verse 4. Well, in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled in those who are perishing in whom the God of this age has blinded the thoughts of the unbelievers, that the illumination of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, might not shine on them. Can you see a a battle here? God wants the gospel of the glory of Christ to shine into people. So the enemy counterattacks by blinding the thoughts, the mind, thereby closing the entrance of light. So he's blinding the thoughts, the reasonings of the unbelievers. So that even though the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, is shining upon them, It doesn't shine into them just because of this tactic. Now I'm going to mention something with the prayer that at least some saints in Europe everywhere will never forget this. And that at least some saints everywhere will remember this when they go out to announce the gospel. 
God wants to shine this glory into human hearts. The enemy wants to prevent this as the God of this age. And he will use all the things of this age to blind their thoughts. Then what should we do? We need to pray prayers to bind the activity of the God of this age. And and pray for the Lord to unveil the minds of the people. We're not going to sit idly back, passively, and allow the enemy to continue usurping all the Europeans. We're not going to sit here and just let that happen and just shrug our shoulders in despair. We have something more powerful than the enemy. We can pray binding and loosing prayers. So we bind the blinding work of the God of this age. And Lord, we pray strongly, open their minds. Open the minds of all the Germans. Open the minds of all the refugees. Subdue their thoughts. Open the entrance to their being. So even if there's a small group, two or three, sharing the gospel, one is speaking, someone may be praying, Lord, bind the God of this age. Unveil this person. Shine into this person. Because whenever God shines, and many of us can testify from experiences, small and great, we have no argument with light. When light shines on us, it subdues us, It brings God into us. Do you remember how Stephen, the martyr, referred to God when he began his lengthy speech in Acts 7? He said, the God of glory appeared to Abraham. Abraham was an idol worshiper. He lived in a city full of idols. There's no sign he was a seeker. God is the one who was seeking. And the God of glory shined into him. And it's the same with Paul. And it's the same today. And we need to be thoroughly established in this aspect of the gospel and I'll show you in a minute how we can inwardly increase in this way then we go out and we speak as we speak we shine and the God who says out of darkness light shall shine will shine into many hearts of Europeans and refugees no matter 
whether they're atheists, whether they're Muslims, whatever they are, doesn't matter to God. Throughout Europe, among the refugee population, there are ones whom God shows in eternity past. We don't know who they are or where they are. But God is seeking them. Whether or not they are seeking God, God is seeking them. And we will be there, not as a movement, but still with increasing strength. We agree with this burden very much. And this gospel will shine out, will shine into hearts, and many will give such a testimony. Okay, one other thing, and this is for our personal experience and encouragement. We're familiar with verse 18 of chapter 3. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding and reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord. So I'd like to ask, where is this glory of the Lord that we are beholding and reflecting? Let's just say someone would come up to me and ask Brother Ron, how can I behold the glory of the Lord? I want to actually experience this. Well, let's establish the connection between this verse and the end of chapter 4, verse 6, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. For us to behold the glory of God is to behold the face of Jesus Christ. And here is the good news. Right now as you're sitting there, your spirit is the holy of holies and there the Christ of glory with the glory on his face is dwelling. When you turn your heart to the Lord, the veil is uplifted, and you may gaze upon the glory in the face of the indwelling Christ. So, I will sing in an unknown key a little ditty that illustrates this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his glorious face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We need to spend a little more time every day doing nothing but gazing. You know, it might just be a minute or two. You just turn and to realize the glory is in the face of the resurrected Christ. 
And the resurrected Christ as the life-giving spirit is the person in your regenerated spirit. When we turn to him and the Lord calms our soul and the veils are lifted right now, you may join me in just gazing at him. And then a transfusion takes place which increases transformation into the same image. Here we are beholding and reflecting from glory to glory. So on the one hand, Paul in his personal life is living in 318. He wrote this epistle from within the Holy of Holies. He had been fully reconciled to God. The second veil had been broken in him. He was altogether one with God in the Holy of Holies where the glory is. And inwardly, again and again, he would turn his heart and just behold and reflect the glory of the Lord. Now you know where the glory is. It's not simply like a substance shining there. Everything in God's economy is personal. It's shining, it's streaming, it's beaming right now. I don't have adequate words. From the face of the resurrected Christ in your spirit. And the blood of the covenant gives you the right of access to this glorious indwelling Christ. You have boldness to enter the holies through the blood of Jesus. Okay, now let's come to the outline and this will help us see the crucial points. Proclaiming the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Christ, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. The effulgence of his glory and the impress of his substance. The expression of what God is. So for us to be made in the image of God actually means we're made in the image of Christ because Christ is the image of God. A little logic is helpful every now and then, right? You just study scripture with scripture. He's the image of the invisible God. We were created in his image to match him. Christ the Son is God's embod- as God's embodiment is the image of the invisible God. The expression of the essence of God's attributes. So this is what he is in his person. Man was created according to Christ with the intention that Christ would enter into man and be expressed through man. This basic thought needs to govern us. So let me ask you this concerning your own life with the Lord. 
What is the main thing that God wants to do with you every day? But what's your concept? Think he's out to get you? He's mainly out to deal with you? The enemy accuses us before God and slanders God to us, lying to us about our God. God's central work is to work himself in Christ into your being through the divine dispensing. That's the main thing he wants to do in your life every day. If there are certain things that you and I need to clear up because they hindered that, then he will enlighten us so that we may confess and receive cleansing. But that's like taking a shower in the morning. That is not a goal in itself. This is to ready you for the day. We need to have a very healthy and positive view of the triune God. He is looking for any opportunity and every opportunity to give himself to you. Little by little, so that you don't explode by getting more than you can handle right now. This is his heart. He created us for this. He redeemed us that we could be brought back to this. He wants to enter into us and be expressed through us. So he enters into the spirit. And he's expressed through the soul. So let me ask you, not to interrogate you, just to ask you, will you let the Lord Touch your soul. Sisters, will you let the Lord touch your soul thoroughly and deeply so that he can shine out through your soul? Then brothers, many of the brothers, a big part of their soul, their emotion, is, it's walled off, even from them. And some have built up, because of the hurts, the wounds of human life, we build up such a defense. It takes us a while to realize we can drop it in the presence of the God of love. To let him touch us. When you consecrate to allow God to work in you, his main work will be in your heart and in your soul. He wants to make his home in your heart. It's not the Britannia Hotel with one lift operating. <laughs> it's a home. And so these words like express him shouldn't just be common thoughts God is expressed through a transformed soul 
And that expression through a transformed soul is the image in reality. Okay, two, Christ is the image of God and the effulgence of his glory. Effulgence is like, it's not the light itself, it's the raying out, the radiating out of the light. The gospel of Christ is the gospel of his glory that illuminates and shines forth. So we shouldn't think that we are preaching the gospel of the glory of Christ only when that is the subject of our speaking. We may or may not be speaking about Christ as the expression of God, but whether we're talking about grace or mercy or the meaning of the universe, our being is shining out God. Because we are now the embodiment and expression of this. That according to the hints given in the scriptures, especially in contrast to the Greek value system, Paul was not an imposing figure. He might have been bow-legged, bald, and beak-nosed. He was not physically attractive. And I say this respectfully, much like when God became a man, the Nazarene. I'm so thankful. He wasn't like a gorgeous man. Because most of us, we just are not gorgeous. I'm glad he became ordinary. He became like the vast majority of us. But out of this unassuming person, God shines. So when he wrote his first epistle, his first letter that was to the Thessalonians, he said, you know what kind of person we were among you. What kind of entrance we had among you. When he and his co-workers came to Thessalonica, they came with the God of glory shining. People turned to God from idols to serve in the living and true God. This shining is powerful. You may spend 20 minutes talking to someone, the person's ungodly, an atheist, but some, for some reason, because of prayer actually, their heart is open to you, and they don't know it, but God shines into them through you for 20 minutes, and that night they don't sleep. Because an element that they didn't know existed is now inside of them. What is it? It's God, but there is no God. Well, I beg to differ. Now, this element is in you, and it will win over you. The gospel of the glory of Christ is the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. The expression, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, refers to God's economy in verse 4. 
The gospel with which the Apostle Paul was entrusted is the effulgence of the glory of the blessed God. Okay, entrusted. We also have been entrusted. It is considered God's way. When the Lord Jesus was on the earth, he would spend time ministering to vast multitudes of people, healing, casting out demons. But most of his time was concentrating on a small number. So at the end, there are 120. And at least the brothers who were the apostles, they were young. The Lord was only 33 and a half when he died. They were young. So the Lord ascends and entrusts the entire operation to this group of believers. Imagine that. And this commissioned them. Yeah, here's your commission. Spread this all over the earth. That's your commission. Disciple all the nations and immerse them in the triune God for the building up of the church as the kingdom. Uh, okay, you do it. Okay, angels can do it. Remember, an angel appeared to the centurion and said, go call Simon to speak words to you. So God is not speaking directly. An angel is not allowed to preach the gospel. And so the Lord has entrusted such a gospel to us. So we need to look to him for his supply that we could be faithful to what was entrusted. By dispensing God's life and nature in Christ into God's chosen people, this gospel shines forth God's glory in which God is blessed among his people. <clears throat> I find it rather odd that when atheists get angry, they curse a non-existent being. <laughs> but it just shows God gets the blame for everything. How sweet it would be to see God blessed in Europe. For him to be the happy God, blessed by so many ones saved through the gospel of the glory of Christ. So please notice that by dispensing God's life and nature are imparted to us, then this becomes the shining out. So in our personal life with the Lord, there should be this pattern, dispensing and shining. Dispensing and shining. We're aware of the dispensing. We come to the Lord to receive his dispensing. We should not be aware of shining. You don't say, I think I'm going to go to that area in Paris and I'm going to start shining over everybody. No, you don't do that. You just are that. The more dispensing, the more shining. And the shining is the gospel of the glory of Christ. B, the gospel is the gospel of the glory of Christ, which illuminates, radiates, and shines in our hearts. Marvelous. 
illuminates our hearts, radiates in our hearts, shines in our hearts. God shining in our hearts results in the illumination of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is, in the enlightenment that causes us to know the glory of God in the gospel of Christ. I believe these statements speak for themselves. In verse 4, God, image, Christ, glory, gospel, and illumination are all in apposition, okay? Not opposition, apposition. That means they're equal. Referring to the same wonderful person. God is the image. The image is Christ. Christ is the glory. The glory is the gospel. And the gospel is the illumination. So we have God, image, Christ, glory, gospel, and illumination all compacted together. This is a powerful combination. I just look forward to more and more opportunities of being able to converse in a human way with people, genuinely. I remember being in Prague several years ago. Kurt and Eleanor Kennard were there. I was staying with them. And I was just down in the main square walking around and observing, and I saw this young man dressed like Mozart. And he was selling opera tickets. And he just engaged in conversation. So I, I just told him, I said, um, I am uh, a, a theological writer from the U.S., I would really like to know what young adults in Europe think about God. Would you just share with me what you think? And I listened to him. And then, because I listened to him, he listened to me. And something shined into him, and something happened in him. We need to have the realization that as we're contacting people, God is shining into them. It's just too wonderful. Three, the, illumi <coughs> the, <coughs> the illumination of the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. What was Stephen's face like? As he was being martyred, it was like the face of an angel. You may not realize it, but eventually this will affect your countenance. This is not something you can be aware of, but you yourself are inwardly experiencing the dispensing and the shining, and now you are one with the Lord and he is shining, and that person may see a face like they've never seen before. Here's someone from Aleppo, who made it out of there somehow, what kind of suffering they've been through, and now they meet a person like you, really caring for them, loving them, 
and now God is shining out of you into them, they'll never forget that face. What's in your eyes? What's expressed through you? You don't even know what's going on. This will happen more and more. This word is not in vain. I believe the Lord will work this out. The glory of God manifested in the face of Jesus Christ is the God of glory. To know him is to know the God of glory. So we ourselves uh, need to advance in this. I realize in 552, uh, it's not well known, but there's some wonderful lines. Not a glimpse the veil uplifted, but within the veil to dwell. The writer of that hymn surely saw the God of glory. So I hope you can see a connection between your personal life with the Lord and the proclamation of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We, for the sake of God's corporate expression in the church and for the sake of the gospel of the glory of Christ, should come to the Lord and just receive his dispensing and behold his glory. Just let him shine. Please don't be afraid of light. Let him just shine into you. Dispense himself into you. Work himself into you. I believe what's going to happen is you will, the resistance in you will just gradually melt. You'll just surrender your whole inner being to him. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being patient with me. Now I tell you, I hold nothing back. No part of me is close to you. I open my whole being to you and to your shining. Make me the same as you are in light and glory, in brightness and radiance. Not that I would be an exceptional spiritual person glowing in church meetings, but that you would have a glorious church and you would have a gospel of glory proclaimed in the darkness of this age. And yes, when we, if we can have a discreet time alone with the Lord, that's a good beginning. But any time. Often I'm beholding glory when I'm taking a shower. I don't know, I get lots of inspiration. It's, I don't, I'm not superstitious, it's not the water. But it's just, you're contacting the God of glory in the course of your human life. It's not only doing a time set aside for this. And more and more, you just want to gaze on him, behold him, let him shine into you, then he'll shine out of you. See, through the illumination of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the Christ of glory as the excellent treasure is received by the believers. Now the shining reality of Christ, the embodiment and expression of the triune God, is the treasure within us. Okay, treasure in earthen vessels. 
So don't despise your earthen vessels. This is God's way. Don't be overly concerned about your vessel. I think many of the young adults in the U.S. that vigorously exercise in these posh health clubs, they're a bunch of narcissists. They're not doing it for their health. They're doing it for their self-expression. When you're my age, you do it for your health. I mean, why do they have full-length mirrors in weight rooms for the young men to act like the missing link in the theory of evolution, walking around like this? Yes, to take care of your earthen vessel, nourish it, maintain its health, but don't be bothered that you and everyone else is an earthen vessel. This is God's way to put the treasure in an earthen vessel. And that treasure is the Christ of glory deposited into you. And now that treasure is going to energize you. Eventually you'll come to the point, but some of us knows what it's like. You're ministering at a conference and you're sitting there. You don't know if you have the strength to stand up. And you don't have the strength to stand up. That's why you feel that you don't have the strength to stand up But then there is the energizing of the treasure, the power of resurrection life. So outwardly, we're earthen vessels. But we have a treasure, the Christ of glory in us. God's shining, which is God's dispensing in our hearts, brings into us a treasure, the all-inclusive Christ who is the embodiment of the triune God as the life-giving spirit to be our life and everything. The treasure of the indwelling Christ is the divine source of the supply for the Christian life. Are you still trying to be a Christian? When you pray, do you pray prayers of Self-improvement, you want to get better? Eventually, you'll really stop. Sometimes you stop temporarily because you're discouraged. But I look forward to receiving texts or emails saying, Brother Ron, I really stopped now. And I'll be able to tell whether you have or not. So what are you doing? I'm just enjoying the Lord. I have a treasure in me. I have a treasure. I'm not trying to beautify the vessel. I'll let that happen when the Lord comes and glorifies us and transfigures us. Until then, I just treasure the treasure. It's the supply of the Christian life. Every once in a while, the traveling brothers are asked, how can you do this? You make 10, 12 international trips a year in addition to so many other things. Well, it's because of the Lord's grace. It's especially because saints, in particular sisters, pray for us. But now I would add, it's the treasure. 
The Christ of glory is in us as a treasure. Now the last section is on our gospel preaching. God shines in our hearts that we may shine on others so that they may have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the knowledge of Christ who expresses and declares God. I don't know where you may be, in a bank, in a grocery store, where there are a lot of people. Just look at them. Realizing the Christ of glory is the treasure in you. And they're empty. Their life is meaningless. It's a vanity of vanities. Won't there be a stirring in you, a longing in you, that the very Christ who's shining in you would shine into them? I believe there will be much and much rejoicing. Why is it? In Luke 15, it says there is joy in heaven over one sinner repenting. The heavens are watching what's going on. Here's a refugee from Aleppo. Here is a young German student in Tübingen. And they respond to someone shining out the gospel of the glory of Christ. And Christ shines into them. And they realize something has happened. And we know what has happened. The treasure has entered into them. They're being born of God. The glory will never leave. Then how happy God is that one more dear human has been saved from a purposeless and meaningless life into a life filled with meaning, glory, and purpose. This is not some sense of obligation. It is a sense of deep feeling for other human beings that were created just like us as vessels to contain God and express him, who have a spirit, whether they know it or not, and actually they don't, and they're empty. I remember in one trip to India, learning from the brothers there about their gospel preaching and then observing a billion people who know no love and no joy. You look at the people, no joy anywhere, no love anywhere. One morning, a group of saints from three churches that were burdened to raise up a church in a certain city, they stayed there for some time. They came together in the morning to touch the Lord, to enjoy the Lord. And they were just walking down the street and a young woman was amazed. So she stopped them and said, why are you so happy? She never saw happy people. Well, before long, she became one of those happy people. And her whole household was saved. Because of meeting what? People really living in the shining of the God of glory. 
supplied by this treasure. The Lord who dwells in us is still the Lord who loves human beings. The one who was moved with compassion, saw them like sheep without a shepherd. We need to know this Christ in his feeling for people, his love for people. And we need to let him live in us in such a way that we have equal love and concern for every kind of human being anywhere and everywhere at any time and every time. And those who have been marginalized and those who have suffered, they will sense the real thing. And then God shines into them. So I just conclude by reading these points. The gospel of the glory of Christ first shines into us and then it shines out from within us. This will involve a kind of subduing of our being because some of us are so busy, we're so active, we're so outward, we don't stop and do nothing and let God shine into us. Some, some of us have no trouble just dropping everything and being with the Lord. We would be happy to be with the Lord and do nothing else for the rest of our life. But when it comes to shining out, we're self-conscious and we're afraid of people and this and that. But the Lord will get through ourself that hinders the shining. So we let the Lord shine into us, then we let him shine out of us. I've got Christ as a light in me. I'm going to let him shine. I've got Christ as a light in me. I'm going to let him shine. Let him shine. Let him shine. Let him shine. Let him shine in Germany. We're going to let him shine. Let him shine in Germany. We're going to let him shine. Let him shine, let him shine, let him shine. We can apply that to every country, to every kind of situation. Let him shine out of you. Love the shining more than your, your human feeling. In our preaching of the gospel, there should be an illumination. We need to shine forth the gospel of the glory of Christ from within us. Christ as a treasure within us is the source of the power energizing us and enabling us to manifest the truth. If we would live for the manifestation of the truth, we must renounce the hidden things of shame, not walk in craftiness, and not adulterate the word of God. We are without guile. We have no worldly technique. We don't manipulate people. We're not political, we're not diplomatic, we're just genuine God-men shining out. And that shining is motivated by the treasure. For in proclaiming the gospel of the glory of Christ, we should not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, who is the content of the gospel. This doesn't mean we never give a personal testimony, it means we're not expressing the self. 
we're expressing the Christ of glory. Finally, those who receive the gospel of glory through our shining will have Christ as the precious treasure dispensed into them. Then, like us, they will be earthen vessels containing this priceless treasure. So at this point, we can lay aside, meaning this point meeting when we're engaged in this kind of activity in serving the Lord, we just forget our condition, we forget our situation. We join with the Lord in having a heart for the human race, for fallen human beings living a meaningless life. And even more, we have a heart for God's purpose to be fulfilled on the earth. For that fulfillment, he needs people to be saved. Now we're one with the shining God. We're going to let him shine in a way that Europe has never seen. And we believe little by little, dear, empty human beings will respond to this shining. Then they, like us, will have a treasure in their earthen vessel. So please take a minute or so to pray with someone nearby. And let's pray for this shining out. Okay? Let's just pray that the Lord will shine in the coming months, shine into so many hearts. Then the brother will direct the rest of the meeting.